joy to be with you guys, to open up the Word of God together. What a privilege it is to be able to, to sing glorious praises to the Lord and then to be able to open up the Word of God and to hear from Him, right? I don't think we think about that often enough, right? That, that we get to sing to the God who created all things and then we get to hear from Him, right? That He wants to communicate to us this morning from His Word. If you have your Bibles, uh, if not, there are some in the seatbacks in front of you. I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. So we're going to be continuing on our series to the nations as we're looking at this last part of the book of Acts. We're wondering what it is, uh, what is it that it looks like to be a church that is sent out into the world? What, What does it look like when we are doing the things that God has called us to do, when we are launching out into our community and around the globe. And so that's what we're going to look at, uh, continuing that series along here in Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 16 this morning. Acts chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 16, says this. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off and gave them uh, off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into it this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the incredible privilege of opening up your word and talking about what it means for our lives. God, I thank you that, that you have communicated to us through Scripture and that you, you haven't abandoned us, but you are speaking to us. So, Father, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way in this church, that you would give us ears to hear what you're speaking to us from your word. And, God, more than that, I pray that you would give us a heart that are ready to apply what it is that you're teaching us. God, I pray that we would leave here this morning better than when we came because we have spent time in your word. Because you have spoken to us, you have convicted us, you have pushed us and encouraged us. God, I pray that you would mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. Because of our time in the word this morning. We love you and praise you. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now if you want my honest opinion, I think ministry here at Freedom Fellowship is going really well. Uh, And so last month we got to celebrate a baptism uh, this uh, last month, we also had a student who places faith in Jesus. This month, uh, we're also going to celebrate at least one more baptism. Uh, it will be a great moment of celebration as a church. Uh, and on top of that, we had uh, new members come in last month. Uh, we have several people who are going through the new member process right now, and so we're growing as a family, uh, which is exciting. And we are, uh, on top of that, I'm hearing more and more conversations from you guys as you're going out saying, hey, I've talked to so-and-so about coming to church, or I've talked to so-and-so about Jesus. And so you're having more and more gospel conversations, more and more uh, 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 conversations inviting people to church. And so I'm hearing that 
happen more and more. We're taking several students to camp just in the next couple of weeks, so it's go that's going to be an exciting time uh, for our students and our student ministry. So, so I think that ministry here is going really well, right? That, that at, at the moment, God is directing us and guiding us and leading us to be the church that we are called to be, and, and we, are, we are heading in that direction, right? Praise the Lord, yeah. We haven't, we haven't arrived, right? And we, we will never arrive to, to be perfect. We will never arrive to be exactly what we should be, but we are headed in the right direction, that God is leading us and guiding us, and ministry is going well, and, and, and lives are being changed, and praise the Lord for that, right? So I think I can resonate with Paul and with Silas and, and Timothy and Luke with what they're experiencing at this point in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, we talked about this last week, that God sent them to Macedonia to this region of uh, kind of modern-day Greece, and they, they showed up in Macedonia. They went to the leading city in Macedonia, Philippi, and they showed up, and their first weekend there, they, they preached the gospel, and this woman named Lydia uh, placed her faith in Jesus, and she happened to be a wealthy woman. And so, so just one weekend into them being there proclaiming the gospel, they already have uh, converts, and they already have a building in which they can worship, right? Like just, just one weekend, as, as uh, American Christians, we, we care a lot about numbers, right? We, American churches care a lot about like how many conversions have you had, how many, how many uh, baptisms have you had, how, what's, your, what's your budget figure, how many seats... And does your building have how many parking spots does your building have? Like we care a lot about numbers. Well, here, like Paul and his ministry, like they are doing very well. One week in, they already have a church and a building, right? Like things are going amazing. Like if this this would be on the front page of every Southern Baptist newsletter <laughs> in, in the world as they're talking about. Look at this ministry in Philippi, right? Like Christianity Today would have this uh, a whole article devoted to the ministry that's going on in Philippi. Things are going really well. Ministry is flowing, the gospel is going forth, and they are, they are just proclaiming the gospel in Philippi, and it's going great. Uh, but then they encounter opposition. Like, and this is something that we've seen multiple times in the book of Acts, going all the way back to Jerusalem, when the church was started in Jerusalem, and, and ministry is going well, and thousands of people are placing their faith in Jesus, and the church is growing at this rapid pace, like things are going well, and then boom, they get hit with persecution, right? Time and again, things are going well, and then they face opposition. That's exactly what happens here in Philippi. Look at me in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer. Now, if you, if you remember from last week, just a quick reminder. Um, so Paul, this is where Paul and, and uh, Silas and Timothy and Luke, where they're doing most of their ministry in Philippi right now is they're going down to the river where there's a group of people who, who are mostly Jews or at least people who believe in a Jewish God. And they're coming down and they're praying together every single week. And so, so Paul, Timothy, Silas, Luke, they're going down and they're proclaiming the gospel to these people that believe in God but don't believe in, 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 in Jesus as Savior, right? So, so they at least have an understanding of who God is like the Jews do, um, but they don't believe in Christ as Savior. So they're going down and they're proclaiming the gospel. That's where they're starting. And so they've gone down. That's where they met Lydia and proclaimed the gospel, and she placed her faith in Jesus. That's, so that's where most of their ministry is taking place. They go down to the river. They're heading to that place of prayer again. Uh, and it says in verse 16, They were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So as they're going down to the river, they, 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 they come face-to-face -face with this girl, and she has a demon. She is demonized, uh, which means there's a demon that has come upon her, and is, it, it, this demon is able to tell the future and, and allows this girl to be able to predict the future. 
Right, so this is a very similar, the wording here of what type of demon it is, and that is very similar to uh, what, what has come to be known as the Oracle at Delphi, um, the most famous oracle in, uh, in world history. There's an Oracle at Delphi, and usually what this, this seer, this Oracle at Delphi, usually what they would do is they would just speak in broad generalities that could really apply to anything, right? So, so a king of, uh, and I think I've shared this before, the king of Lydia, of the Lydian Empire comes to the oracle and says, hey, if I attack Persia, are we going to win? And the oracle says, if you attack Persia, you're going to bring an end to a great empire, right? And then Lydia attacks Persia, Lydia gets defeated, and the Lydian Empire is destroyed, right? So it's a vague generality that really is going to apply no matter how the battle works. So sometimes the oracle of Delphi just uses vague generalities, but sometimes the oracle is really able to tell the future and say, this is what's going to happen. And the, the reason for that, likely is that the Oracle of Delphi, like this slave girl, has, a, has a, a, a demon that they're working with in order to predict the future. That's what happens here with this slave girl. This slave girl is oppressed by a demon, and, and this demon is exploiting her and using her to be able to predict the future so that her masters can have a lot of money. Right? She is enslaved. Notice, she's not complicit in any of this at all. Right? She is enslaved by masters. She's enslaved by this demon to predict the future. It's not like some some great gift that she's been given to be able to tell the future. Like she is, she is demon-oppressed, and she is enslaved by masters for greedy gain. And so this girl comes up to Paul and to Silas, to Timothy and to Luke, and they encounter this girl, and notice what happens in verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So when they, when they show up, this slave girl kind of attaches to the group and starts following them around everywhere they go saying, these people are servants of the Most High God. They're coming to proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now this is a problem for Paul, for Silas, for Timothy, and for Luke. It's a problem for the group. And it's a problem for several reasons. Number one, we've already seen that the, the majority of the ministry that's taking place right now is down by the river as they're, they're proclaiming the gospel to the people there. Most likely... This group has encountered a lot of problems in a lot of cities, and so they're trying to fly under the radar, at least initially, to get the church up and going. Right? Now, if you're trying to fly under the radar, you're trying not to get a lot of attention, you're just trying to, to slip in and proclaim the gospel quietly throughout the city, it's kind of a problem to have a slave girl walking around saying, these people follow God, and they want to tell you about the gospel. Right? Like it's, it's a bit of a problem if you're trying to be subtle and, uh, and not get noticed. But that's what this girl's doing. She's following around, telling everybody that they ever come across, these people serve the Most High God, and they want to tell you about salvation. This big, bold proclamation that just outs them to the entire city. Right? And on top of that, uh, there are two other reasons why this could be a problem. Number one, uh, there's, uh, she's muddying the waters. And, and the reason that we think she's muddying the waters is, as you look at what she says, she says that they are servants of the Most High God. Now, that's a, that's a good designation for God. And it's a, a designation that's used a lot in, in polytheistic nations, nations that believe in a lot of different gods. It's a good way to help people think about God, the God, being above all, being supreme over all things, right? That he's the one true God. Right? So the Most High God is a good designation. It's used a couple times in the Bible. Um, but the way that she's using it, it's never used in the book of Acts. And the way that she's using it, 
shows that what she might be doing is saying all of the other gods are true. They're just serving like a Zeus-type figure, like the, the one god who's kind of higher than the rest, but the rest are still there. Right? So what she's doing is she's muddying the waters, and she's not saying, like most of the time it says in the book of Luke, that they serve the one true god. What she's saying is they just serve the most high one. And so she's potentially muddying the water there. And on top of that, she says, they have come to proclaim to you the way of salvation. The way that that's written in the original Greek, uh, it could either be a way of salvation or the way of salvation. Uh, Greek is, is a little weird in that it's, it, it's, it's, it could be either way. It's 50-50. And so she could potentially be going around saying that they're coming to proclaim to you a way of salvation. One possible way of salvation. So her proclamation is not only outing the group to everybody in the city, on top of that, it's also muddying the waters. And it's, it's getting people potentially to think of them as servants of just one possible God and one possible way of salvation. So this is a problem. This is textbook, like you cannot get any clearer spiritual op- opposition. Right, spiritual warfare against the church. Here is a demon possessing a child, coming against the church and and exposing Paul, trying to thwart their ministry. Right, ministry is growing really well, and now here's spiritual opposition just smacking them in the face. Literally, they're just walking to a place of prayer, and this girl walks up and then follows them everywhere, trying to to, to end their ministry in the city. Right, that is spiritual opposition against Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke. When things are going really well in ministry, we're going to encounter spiritual opposition. When we're doing things that are, that are glorifying God and lifting up the name of Jesus, the enemy is going to take notice. And we are going to encounter spiritual opposition. If we never encounter spiritual warfare as a church, if everything just goes smoothly and perfectly, and we never encounter spiritual opposition, that's a problem. Because it means we're not doing anything that Satan thinks it's worth fighting against. Right? You know what runs smoothly? A country club. Right? Where you can just go and you can enjoy and everyone's cordial. And then after you're done, you're done consuming, you can go home. Right? That, that, that runs smoothly. That has no problems. We as a church need to fight our country club tendencies. Right, where we can just come and everyone's happy, everyone's, everyone's cordial, we don't, we don't develop any real relationships, we don't, we don't really dig deep into, into the word of God, we don't push each other, we don't strive to lift up the name of Jesus, but, but we're, we're, we like being around each other, everything's fun, and then we all go home when we're done consuming. Right? If that's the case, then we're not going to encounter any spiritual opposition and things are going to run smoothly, but that's a problem. Because we're not doing what we're called to do as a church. Now, if we're a church that is proclaiming the gospel, that is going out and telling people about Jesus and in standing in our community as a beacon of light and life and hope in a world of darkness, if we are a church that is opening up the word of God and challenging one another to know what scripture says and to apply what it means to our lives, if we're a church that is operating through prayer and lifting up the the things in our lives to God and seeing him move in a powerful way, if we are a church that is training up and making disciples, if we are a church who are using what God has given us for the glory of God, then we're going to be a church that the enemy is going to take notice of. And we're going to be a church that's going to encounter spiritual opposition. 
when ministry is going well and we're doing things that God has called us to do, we're going to encounter spiritual issues. We're going to encounter uh, uh, temptation. You know that in your own life. As soon as you start to walk with the Lord, as soon as you start to, to put your eyes on Jesus and walk according to him, the, the enemy is going to try to take your eyes off of Jesus and put it onto other things. As soon as you're walking closely with the Lord, the enemy is going to try to knock you off and to get you to do things that you're not supposed to do, that, are, that do not bring God glory and honor. And he's going to try to keep you from doing the things that are going to lift up the name of Jesus. And we see that as a church, that, that we're going to encounter spiritual opposition, that we're going to encounter a spirit of disunity, we're going to encounter uh, uh, spiritual uh, temptations to, to be greedy, to be uh, authoritative, to be uh, disunified as a body. That we're going to, to encounter spiritual opposition that's going to try to tear the church apart, that's going to try to keep us from being successful in doing what we're called to do in, the, in, the, in, our, in our community. When ministry is going well, we're doing what God has called us to do. We will encounter spiritual opposition. And it's not a bad thing to encounter spiritual opposition. It's not a sin to be uh, opposed by the devil. In fact, it's a good thing because Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they are encountering spiritual opposition everywhere that they go because they're doing the ministry that God has called them to do. But look with me in verse 18. They encounter the spiritual opposition, but in verse 18, this is one of my, my uh, she kept doing this for days, uh, and then this is one of my favorite sentences in all of the Bible. <laughs> Uh, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. So Paul just gets fed up, right? She's going around and following them for days, going, these people are servants of the Most High God. They've come to celebrate, uh, to, to tell you about a way of salvation. And she's just following them, making this proclamation to every single person that they come across. And it's, I just love, like, when we read the Bible, a lot of times we think of these people as kind of larger-than-life figures and we don't attach much humanity to them, right? They're just, they're just these, these big, larger-than-life figures. Here's Paul. He's just annoyed at this girl, right? He's just, he's just had it. Like she, she keeps making this proclamation to everyone they come across. He's like, all right, I'm done. That's it. And so he turns to her and says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. And the demon flees within the hour. Right? By the power of Jesus Christ, they overcome the spiritual opposition. The power of God and the name of Jesus are more, are more powerful than the spiritual opposition and the demon flees. So this spiritual opposition that had come, uh, that they came across, the spiritual opposition that had come against them, they overcame it by the power of God. As powerful as a fortune-telling demon may be, God is more powerful. Right? As intense as it would be to be opposed by a, a literal, physical, demonized person, God is more powerful than that. They encountered the spiritual opposition and they overcame it by the power of God. But that didn't stop their problems. Because spiritual opposition isn't the only kind of opposition that we may come across. Look with me in verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So they have overcome this spiritual opposition. But now they are face-to-face -face with human opposition as well. Right, here are the slave owners, the masters 
of this little girl. And, and this girl has just been freed from demon oppression. Right? This girl has just been rescued from a demon that, is, that has been, uh, been using her and abusing her for, uh, for fortune telling. Like this, this, this girl has been freed. And instead of celebrating and praising God, these greedy masters are saying our, our potential for money is gone. And they are livid with Paul, with Silas, and with the rest of the group. So what they decide to do is that they, they seize Paul, and they seize Silas, and they grab them, and, they, and they, they drag them before the rulers. I don't know why. The text doesn't give any in, in, indication of why they only to, took Paul and Silas. Like, I don't know why Luke and, uh, and Timothy also didn't get grabbed. It could be because they were uh, Roman citizens uh, and evidently Roman uh, could be that there were only two masters, so they just took the two most vocal guys. I really have no idea. If you're Paul, uh, and if you're uh, Timothy and Luke, you're probably like, I'll, I'll sit this one out. That's fine. Um, Paul and Silas get dragged before the rulers by these slave masters. They get dragged in the middle of the city, and notice what they do in verse 20, what, the, what these slave owners do. Verse 20, when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to practice. So notice the tactics that these uh, human opponents do. Notice what they try to do to, 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 to end Paul's ministry and Silas's ministry there. They fight it with racism, and they fight it with misinformation. They, they drag these two men before the magistrates, and they, they say, these men are Jews. Right, and the the uh, what they mean by that is they're not us. They're not Romans. These are Jews. These are foreigners. These are a different type of people. Now, technically, they're wrong. Uh, both Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, which is going to be a, a point later. But either way, what what they're saying, what they're bringing up is these guys are Jews, and they're playing off the rest of Philippi's uh, uh, aversion to the Jews. And he's, they're hoping that the magistrates and the rest of the city will hate these men because they're Jews. And so they're throwing racist insults out there. And on top of that, they're using misinformation. They are slandering Paul and Silas before the rulers, saying things that are not true. Verse 21, that they, they, are, uh, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So they're saying that these men are Jews, and they're telling us to do things that no good Roman should ever do. These men are Jews, and they're trying to disrupt our way of life. These men are Jews, and they are trying to, 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 to undermine our laws, to undermine the, what's going on in our community, to try to undermine all the good things that we have going for us. These men are Jews, and they're trying to get us to do things that we shouldn't. So this combination of, of racism and, and misinformation are opposing Paul and Silas in his ministry. And then look what happens in verse 22. The crowds join in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave, them or, uh, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. So, so this is about as bad as human opposition gets. Right? They had just overcome this big spiritual opposition, and then they get hit in the face with human opposition right after that. And here are humans who are, who are uh, 
throwing racism against them, who are throwing misinformation against them. Now all of public opinion is against them, and a whole crowd is ganging up on them and attacking them, and the actual government is now opposing them and beating them and throwing them into prison. That's about as bad as human opposition can get. Right? This isn't like they were left a bad Yelp review or like someone wrote a blog about their church. Right? This is, a, this is as bad as human opposition gets. When you and I are, are ministering and we're doing the things that God has called us to do, we as a church will definitely encounter spiritual opposition, and it's likely that we'll encounter human opposition as well. It is likely that we will encounter uh, greedy people, uh, authoritarian people uh, from within and outside the church who want to, to halt our ministry. It's likely that we'll encounter people who just don't like Jesus and will say things and do things against our church to keep our ministry from, from going forth in the community. It's even possible, as it's happened in other countries around the world, that even the government could come against the church. We are guaranteed to encounter spiritual opposition, and it's likely that we'll encounter human opposition as well if we're doing the things that God has called us to do. Again, you know that in your own life. If you're walking and, and according to what God has called you to do, you are perfectly within his will, perfectly within his plan, glorifying Jesus in the world. You're going to come across people who don't like Jesus. And you're going to come across people who, who hate Jesus and will slander you because you look a lot like him. You're going to come across people that will not like you and, and, and could potentially hate you because you follow Jesus. We encounter spiritual opposition, but we will also likely encounter human opposition. Paul and Silas encountered about as bad of a human opposition as you can get. Like, if you thought of, a, of an opposition that would end ministry in the city of Philippi, this would be it. Right? The entire crowd has come against Paul and Silas and have beat them up, and the government has silenced them and thrown them into prison. Like, if there's any human opposition that's going to end the church in Philippi, this is it. If there's any human opposition that will end Paul and Silas' ministry, this is it. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We'll, we'll read this story next week. But what's important for us to know is the fact that Paul and Silas get out of prison by the power of God. And not only that, but that people come to know Jesus through the ministry of Paul and Silas in and outside of the prison. So even in the face of this intense human opposition, the ministry of the gospel is going forth. God rescued and overcame this human opposition because he, he is more powerful than even the most powerful and incredible force of human opposition imaginable. This is what I want us to see this morning. You will encounter opposition. It's going to happen. But we serve a God who is bigger than our opponents. You're going to encounter spiritual warfare and spiritual opposition. The enemy is going to try to tempt you. The enemy is going to try to stop you from doing the things that glorify God. And the enemy is going to try to stop our church from being a light for the gospel in our community. We have a very real enemy. And I don't want to minimize that today. I, I think we tend to gloss over just how real and powerful and, 
and awful our enemy is. Scripture says that that our enemy, Satan, is like a a roaring lion just seeking to to kill and devour. We have an enemy that seeks to steal and to kill and destroy, that he is cunning and intelligent, and he, he seeks to subvert what God is doing in our church. We have a very real enemy. And we cannot take that lightly. And if we don't feel any opposition, that's a problem. Because we're not doing things that our enemy thinks is worth fighting against. We have a very real enemy. But I want you to notice what Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, what their ministry is in Philippi. Their ministry isn't beating enemies. They're not called to defeat the devil. And they're not called to overcome government oppression and to to install a new and better and more favorable government. Their job is not to defeat their enemies. Their job is to go proclaim the gospel. The ministry that God has has called Paul and Silas to is to go share the gospel with the people of Philippi. The ministry that God has called us to is not to defeat the devil. And it's not to go defeat any human opposition that comes against us. Our ministry is to go tell people about Jesus to go make the name of Jesus known in the world, to go go show people the glory of God and to see people experience the grace and the love of God in the gospel. That's what we're called to do. That is the ministry that we are called to do. And when we do that, we're going to face opposition. And when that happens, we need to trust that the Lord is bigger than any opponent that comes against us. We need to trust that God is bigger than any spiritual opponent than any human opponent that is going to come against us. God is bigger than that. God is more powerful than them. I know that temptation feels like it's, it's inescapable. And like it's really hard to overcome. But we serve a God that has set you free from sin and death. And who is more powerful than the tempter. So believe and trust that God can rescue you from temptation. I know that, that disunity and, and spiritual warfare that threatens a church that is uh, doing what God has called it to do it is big and powerful. And I have seen so many churches crumble under the weight of spiritual warfare. But we serve a God who is bigger than any spiritual opponent. Trust that the Lord is more powerful than anything that comes against us. Trust in him. And when opponents come against you, don't shift your ministry. Don't become consumed with your opponent trying to figure out how to beat them, trying to figure out how to one-up them. If you have some, a person come against you and slander you and be mean and revile you, like they're doing it because of Jesus, hopefully. If, they, if for other reasons, you probably need to get that figured out. But if it's because you love Jesus that they're slandering you, they're doing it because of Jesus. And your goal, your ministry, is not to beat them. Your goal in ministry is to continue to proclaim the glory of God. Don't change your ministry because opponents have come against you. We serve a God who's bigger than them. We serve a God who can handle them. We serve a God who can make sure that the ministry of the gospel continues no matter what force faces you. Some of you this morning, you don't encounter spiritual warfare. And you you don't encounter temptation. You don't have these things that come against you because you're not walking with the Lord. 
you have never placed your faith in Jesus, Satan is not your enemy. Because you've never trusted in Christ. So this morning, the message for you is that you need to get on the right side of the battle. The message for you is that, that there is a God who loves you and has died for you and has died to set you free from sin and death, who has died to set you free from oppression and brokenness and sinfulness, a God who had died and rose again so that you could have eternal life. So you need to get on the right side of the battle and trust in Jesus for salvation. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to sing. And as we sing, if that's you, and you want to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, you want to get on the right side of the battle, then I would love for you to come up here. I'll be standing right here. I'd love to pray with you. And then there are some people that would love to talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus. But our ministry as a church is the ministry of the gospel. To go make sure that people know who God is. To go make sure that people know Jesus and trust in him and place their faith in him and receive the grace and the love of God, no matter what opponent comes against you. And we serve a God that can make sure it happens. So go proclaim the gospel and be the church that God has called us to be. And trust that God is bigger than any opponent. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. And I thank you that you have a heart for the lost. God, that you want the people who do not know you to enter into a relationship with you. God, that you want those who are, who are struggling, who are broken, who are hurting, who are, who, are, who are heartbroken, God, you want them to, to know you and to know your love and to know your grace and to know your peace. Father, you love us. And I pray, Father, that, that we would accept the ministry of going and proclaiming this good gospel message to the people around us. God, I pray that, that you would help us uh, that you would overcome and overpower any enemy that comes against us so that the ministry of the gospel can go forth and this church can do exactly what you've called us to do. I pray that we as a church would be a bright, shining beacon of hope and life in our community. And so that people will come to know you. Father, I pray for anybody here this morning who's on the wrong side, Anybody here this morning that has never placed their faith and hope in you, anyone here this morning who is hurting, who is broken, who is anxious, who have never trusted in you for salvation, God, I pray this morning will be the morning that they trust in you for salvation. I pray this morning will be the morning that they know your love and the hope and the life and the joy that you provide. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.